Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. This is episode number 40, talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. And today I have the pleasure of chatting with Lola Jean. Lola is a sex educator, mental health professional, wrestler, dom and world record holder for volume squirting, that's solo, and she provides the no frills sex education we both need and deserve. Lola brings a refreshing understanding of sex, sexuality and kink to push individuals past what they think they are capable of. Lola offers a variety of classes and talks to help people have better sex with themselves and each other, like pegging, squirting and libido awakening. A variety of paid and free options of classes and talks, plus a podcast with the reluctant sexpert, which is called Is Our Love. Uh, there are a variety of options to indulge in on her website, which is lolajean.com. You can also find Lola uh, on Instagram, which is at lolajean.com. And in this episode, Lola, Lola and I talk about squirting and pegging and rimming and just in general, broadening your definition of sex. Uh, and Lola asked all of the questions that you might have about squirting, being the world record holder, she knows a thing or two. And uh, we also spoke about the pressures and the expectations that we put on ourselves sexually, but also that we put on our partners as well. Are we pressuring our partner to orgasm? Are we pressuring our partner to do something that they might not be uh, really, that, that something that they might not find really enjoyable, for example? So this is a super interesting conversation. I had a lot of fun talking to Lola and I hope you have a lot of fun listening to it. You just stand there and smile while these kids get the impression that sex is dirt and lust and love are the same thing, that it's okay to try perversion just for kicks. When a man becomes sexually excited, blood rushes into the chambers in the spongy erectile tissues in his penis. You can use your knowledge with responsibility and real love, or you can use it wantonly and with mere animal appetite. It's your effect. Okay, the first, uh, the first question, I guess it's not really a question, it's more of an invitation that I give to uh, everyone that comes on to the show is, um, I'd love to invite you to share a little bit of your story. You know, it doesn't have to be too long, it's just a few minutes, but um, maybe how you got to be doing the work that you're doing now and as it relates maybe to sexuality and pleasure and the title of the show is also masculinity or, or men. So if you want to weave that in, you're more than welcome to as well, but I'd love to invite you to share. Yeah. As I was actually talking about this yesterday too, because the origin story, you know, it can be wrapped up in, in different ways, but when from a young age, I, I was sexualized, but I wasn't romanticized and I wasn't pursued, which is an odd mixture of things, but essentially I wanted to explore romantic and sexual relationships and those i mean romantic ones those weren't available to me i wasn't able to be in a relationship to explore sex so i just began exploring sex on my own so at a young age starting but like going well into adulthood i was that was my language that was what i was more comfortable with i could navigate sex a relationship romance like any of that not so much so I'm already coming to this from being more well-versed in sex than in like love and relationships. And I think that's something that led, just led me to explore and approach things in a different matter. Um, but then when I went to, you know, explore sex and relationships at a later age, I found that everything was really couples focused. There was nothing that was more for the single person's rights. Um, there was a lot less that I could explore and also a lot less that spoke to me because there was a lot that was assumed without giving me the opportunity to maybe I'm not submissive maybe I don't want to be choked and I was always going up against these edges so you know a lot of people I think in their careers they are they want to be the person they didn't have and I'm trying to create a space that I didn't have and just I, I, I'm a brat so I just constantly question everything and that's what I approach things with it's very no nonsense so I'm I didn't intend to disappoint my parents every day, but look at me now, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing. And I resonate with you when you said, um, you know, they try and be the person that they didn't have. And, and that's exactly my philosophy. I try and be the guy, <clears throat> excuse me, that I needed about 10 years ago who was talking about sexuality and masculinity in alternative ways. Um, and I'm, 
and, and so that kind of is the motivating factor for the work that I put out into the world. So I definitely um, I'm on the same page with you on that. And I'm, I'm curious, and maybe you can speak from your own experience, but also possibly from the work that you're doing now. What is the difference between um, sexualizing someone versus maybe pursuing them romantically? What, what does that kind of look like? Well, the thing is, is you can pursue someone sexually and you can still do it with respect. You can have a one night stand with respect. You can have a friends with benefits, like any of those things. But there's a lot of dehumanization that occurs. I think a lot of people think I can't possibly have a one night stand and treat someone with respect because then that'll be a relationship. But they'll take it as that. And that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate for me who was never in a relationship that I am not owed that same. Like even going through people that are you know, ethically non-monogamous with whatever that means to them. They're really great to their partners. They treat their partners really well. But if you don't treat the people you're fucking well, it's not so ethical. And so with with sexualizing, and it could be also like fetishizing, there's, there's different versions of that. But it is, I mean, it, it's sexualizing me. So it's putting a sexual connotation on me in one that I... I didn't, I'm just existing in the world. And then I am treated in such a way. And that's part of how I took it back within sex education and within sex work is that I'm constantly sexualized. I cannot change that, but at least I can have certain situations where it's at least within my control or I'm directly monetizing from it. So it, it's it's putting something on someone that they didn't necessarily ask for or accept. And yes, I'm taking that and I'm owning it and turning it. That doesn't mean I want you to sexualize me in all of the different ways, but at least I can do it on my own terms. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think there's a, um, like, do you think there's a phenomenon where men are sexualizing particular groups of women or particular types of women and then kind of pursuing romantically other types of women? Is there a d distinction? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's a really heavy fetidization of Asian women. There's a heavy fetidization of black women or, and not even just of them as a group, but that also that they should behave in a certain way. Um, there's the fetidization of women that have larger breasts or just have certain body types. And there are these ideals of like, this is the kind of person you date and take home to mom versus not. And it could also just be like the energy that someone puts out there. Like Stoya talks about this a lot and like she was just very much treated differently and encountered things that other people didn't and like I feel like a lot of like maybe women can't fathom like I can't believe people treat me like this but it's like there are two different experiences and walks of life um yeah and I think like with with a lot of people like Marilyn Monroe would say that like people would say that like oh you're giving vibrations off the floor of sex she wasn't doing shit she wasn't she was existing in the world with big boobs that's what she did. And, um, you know, I, I took a lot also like realizing this from The Art of Seduction by Robert Greene. And like, I mean, honestly, really resonating with Marilyn Monroe. Um, but it's a lot of these things that are put on us. It's the same. I get this all the time of like, but you made me get a heart on. So now you have to take care of it. But you got me so horny. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. <laughs> Nothing is my fault. Your boner is not my problem. Mm, yeah, I think there's this like... Um lack of ownership that men take over their own like sexual desires and sexual arousals and and the the pleasure that they feel in their own body it's like very much um the like you kind of framed it just then it's like the fault of the woman it's like you turned me on you gave me a boner because you're so hot and the, the responsibility and the onus is kind of placed onto her and her body uh and so the guy's like absolved of any anything that could happen it's like oh you know i was just uh, you, know, you just turned me on so much or you you made me get a boner and, and whatever it is. And and I see that happening a lot in the work that I do with guys and, and started, you know, I guess the start of the whole process with them is getting them to own those feelings in their own body, recognize that they're kind of generated from within them. They're not kind of dependent upon an external stimulus. Yes, that external stimulus can kind of help facilitate that that pleasure and that arousal that they feel in their body, but it kind of comes from within them. And the the I guess the more they own that and the more they're aware of it and the more they recognize that it's generated inside, the more they can kind of then share and express and expand on that. But I'm wondering, do you, I mean, in the work that you do, is there any way that you see um, or any advice that you have for, for helping guys kind of take responsibility of that ownership and, and that of their desire and their arousal? 
I mean, a lot of things is ask, it's just having more awareness and asking yourselves questions. A lot of, I mean, and then I do this too. It's not just for men, it's for everyone, but asking yourself, is this fair? Is this fair of me? Is this fair of them? Is it fair of me to ask this for them? Um, What do I want out of this scenario? Like be very clear with what your, like with what your intentions are in doing so of like, are you communicating what your desires are? And that's, it's different from consent. That's, that's a whole nother issue that we can get into because I am not a fan of especially how men are treating consent as this checkbox, but it's just communicating your desires. It's not asking someone to fulfill anything, but it's knowing what you want in a certain moment and knowing that someone doesn't necessarily have to fill that. So like, what, what are we owed in different scenarios? What is another person owed? What are we owed? Because the answer is not much. We are owed respect and human decency. We're not owed shit after that. If someone touched your penis, they don't know you an orgasm. Um, if someone, you know, showed you their genitals, they don't know you shit. Uh, like these are things that have to be communicated. And it's hard because a lot of times, you know, we, we try to say that our arousal brain takes it over, but I've had conversations with people, even when it comes to like news of people feeling like that I owe them that. And I was like, am I, do I have to give them to you? Is that, I didn't know that was a requirement of something I had to do. I, I thought I had a choice is that, and when you, when you say it to someone like that, they're like, oh, right. But we just want these things so badly because what, what that is, is coercion really. And we don't want to hear that. We don't want to think about those things. So when we're all whiny about like, oh, but this, and and even if it works, those things are coercion. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and I think there's this like idea, especially around like men and sexuality, which is that like all touch is sexual and that all touch should lead to sex. And, and then even more so that sex is just intercourse. It's just penetration, like nothing else counts. And there's like a couple of these kind of narratives wrapped up in the way that men approach sex and sexual expression that um, lend itself to coercion, right? And to manipulation. I mean, like their ego is tied up in it because if, am I having enough sex and the right sex and the kind of sex and are these things happening? And I mean, I've been having these conversations with my partner a lot because there's so much pressure around sex for everyone. And like, there shouldn't be pressure. We should just be having fun. Who cares if I come and you come like, yeah, let's keep track of it eventually. But like, if that's always our concern, whenever we go to have sex, which whatever sex means to us, like, I'm not going to want to do it. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of things I have to worry about potentially going wrong when we could just like have fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I often find like the reverse happens as well when guys are like outsourcing and projecting their desires onto um, their partners is if they don't get turned on for whatever reason, or if they don't get an erection or if they don't ejaculate or if they don't feel desire and arousal, that it's also her fault, right? Because she's not hot enough or she's not doing that thing that he saw in porn or whatever it is. And so the fault is also hers as well because of this double-edged sword of like, okay, well, Maybe. if you're outsourcing. Have you noticed I have that? A, I have a problem where I intimidate the boners off men. I have people with penises have a very hard time maintaining an erection with me specifically because of my knowledge, who I am, and just my general confidence. And I mean, I don't really care if you can get an erection or not. Um, I re- I don't. And it's a thing that I've struggled with because I, when that happens, that person feels so vulnerable. And if I'm like, oh, it's okay. Or don't worry about it. Or like, there's, I still haven't figured out what I can do that will help that person in that moment because they really just, they need to be able to get over it. Cause like, I don't care if your dick is hard or not. I'll put a strap on, on you if I really want to fuck you. Or like, there's other things that can be done. It's, really crazy to expect your body to be working 100% of the time. My body doesn't work 100% of the time. They're bodies. That's just what they do. And especially if you have nerves, that could have a direct correlation. But that's a, it's something that should be normalized. Flaccid penis in general should be normalized. We should see it more in mass media, in porn. We only see hard dick. And it's, I, I mean, it's something I still struggle with. It happens all the time to me. I don't think that they're blaming it on me. I think they're, what happens is they internalize it. This is embarrassing. I can't believe I did this. You know, what's easier if I don't see her again. And that's what happens. So I've like, there's so many people I lost out on an opportunity on getting to know them because it, you know, it wasn't as easy to maintain an erection with me. Yeah. Yeah. There's like this embarrassment and then the shame and then the 
internalizing of that fear and, and then it's like okay well the easiest way to deal with this is to not deal with it it's just to sweep it under the rug and then never see that person again i definitely resonate with with that and i, I see that in my work all the time guys that just you know don't want to have to deal with it and so they're just like okay i'm just gonna i'm never gonna call this person again yeah yeah yes. <laughs> and it'll come back and find you <laughs> yeah exactly and and that's you know kind of slapping a band-aid over uh, a pretty deep wound um and so like managing that is is really important um, and um, and tied into all this is like, and, and one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to you is this kind of pressure that guys put on their partner in these scenarios to kind of look a certain way or to um, to experience you know pleasure a certain way or to um, vocalize and and to to orgasm. And I was wondering, you know, are you able to maybe elaborate and expand on any pressure that maybe you felt or that you've seen? other people feel from guys because they project kind of their desire and arousal onto the female body? Yeah. Oh, I still feel loads of pressure all the time. And, you know, not everyone's ready to have these really frank conversations, especially in a place where they're vulnerable, both like literally and physically, you are naked and you're also like mentally vulnerable in that state. Um, I think like first, firstly, there's a pressure to know what you want. You know, that's what all the Cosmo mags tell us, right? Tell them what you want. So many people don't know, or it might be different in a different scenario. So like one of the types of pressure that I tell people that will go on in like a lot of women's head will be, okay, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Cam, what I want. And then you do it. And I'm like, oh, well, I told him I want that, but I actually don't like that. But I told him I wanted it. So I'm just going to fake it because that's easier than being like, hey, I changed my mind. Um, and that's the thing that happens a lot of the time. So there's a pressure to first just know what you want when you might be like, I don't have any idea. Can we explore it together? Um, but then it's also something where it, it can become a lot about the ego of the other person. So if that person feels like they can't make me come, like, hey, I'm upset too. It's not just you. Like, I would love to do that. Like, I am not an easy to orgasm person and I'm jealous of people who are, but sometimes it's just the way the wind blows as well too and when i feel like if my partner feels like it is you know a deterrent on them that they can't do that then all of a sudden their pleasure becomes my pleasure's priority so like i was experiencing this a lot with my partner currently where like he solely derives his pleasure from my pleasure and i have a problem with that because that means him having a good time is dependent on me having a good time. The only thing I can do to give him a good time is for me to experience physical pleasure, which can sound great, but it's it's just a lot. Like I have to go into any sexual situation and be like, okay, do I think I'm in an orgasm? Because if I don't, maybe we shouldn't do this. Or like, I have to be 120% certain that I'm going to end in something physically pleasurable instead of the goal being like, have a good time. So there's this pressure on knowing what you want. There's a pressure on orgasming, potentially. There could be a pressure on squirting. And then beyond that is you don't want to do anything that's going to turn this person off because for whatever reason, men's opinion on our bodies and what our bodies do because it's direct correlation of them, like that could be a thing that completely turns someone off. As someone who squirts a lot, I can't tell you how many people have been turned off by that in one way or the other or don't want to see me again because of it. That has been a huge filtration of people that either fetishize me, people who shame me for it, or people who just don't want to deal with it. And you know what? People are entitled to not like want certain things, just like I, I can do the same. Um, but that's just something that has to become in the filtration process before we get there, because I don't feel like dealing with it at that point. So there's the pressure to perform. There's the pressure to not do anything that's deemed like in air quotes, like embarrassing. So if there's something that looks a certain way or smells a certain way or, or, or whatever it may be. It's like, we have to remember at the end of the day is that their bodies um, and you're, you're with this person for whatever the reason are, but like bodies don't always behave the way we want them to. They do really amazing things. They do things that we deem to be embarrassing or gross. And they just do both things. You're the same body that comes also takes poops. They just do both. And they're around the same area. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, um, there's a piece of this puzzle that like guys are missing. Like I, I, when I speak to men, they oftentimes don't realize how much pressure they're putting on their partner. And I, I think it's because like the, the mentality that a lot of men have is like, 
oh, I want to make her come so badly. Like, I, I just want to do this for her. Like, kind of taking responsibility for her pleasure. Um, so, like, they're, they're kind of going, um, like, oh, you know, I've got to do all the things. I've got to do the move. I've got to do the thing. Like, I've got to, you know, penetrate her with my cock. Like, it's her pleasure is dependent upon, like, what, what he's doing. And so he's got to do like all the things and that's where his own performance anxiety can come from. Um, but kind of from that space is like on the other end from from those women is, and, and I've spoken to a lot of women about this and, and you've just beautifully shared then, it's like, fuck now, I feel like I have to come. And if I don't, then, you know, your, your ego is going to get, you know, um, I take a blow and, uh, and, and then, you know, sex is going to be a failure if there's no orgasm and all those things are kind of tied up and, and that's where I feel like, you know, um, faking orgasms comes from as well. It comes from that kind of dynamic where the pressure's put on the woman to, to experience pleasure. And if she doesn't, then something's gone wrong. Um, and so like to save his ego and to, you know, there's a whole big thing of women tolerating specific, you know, things during sex as well, because they're kind of, you know, even though Cosmo magazines and all that are saying, you know, speak up, there's still a lot of resistance for, for people to speak up in those sexual scenarios. And, and so there's this phenomenon of a lot of a lot of women just kind of putting up with the touch that they're getting and the, the sex that they're having. Um, and so we get this dynamic where no one's really talking and there's pressure on both sides, pressure on each other, pressure on ourselves. And then the sex, you know, yeah. is, tends to be pretty shit. And like that. we're we're just expecting to show up to sex and be like, okay, let's figure it out. Um, like my friend Remy Casimir is a podcast called Hell Come. Like her joke is that like, you know, someone gives you a Rubik's cube and you have to fix it. And also you're naked. Uh, like it, it's, that's an impossible, you have to be able to have conversations and talk and discover instead of putting so much pressure on that one act, you can't expect everything to be fixed in that moment. And like beyond that, even if it's just different acts, I think a lot of people feel like, well, because like, I really like love you and you love me. Therefore you should want to do this thing that I want to do. Like no matter how much someone loves you, desires you, cares about you, like they don't have to do the thing that you want to do. Um, and that's like, it's a lot of conversation still of like, how do I convince my girlfriend to do anal? How do I convince my partner to do this? And like, there, you know, you can talk to them, you can provide education, but we can't convince, we can't make someone do anything at the end of the day. And if we think like if anal is an integral part to your relationship, then maybe you shouldn't be dating that person. Like you need to figure like if I need someone who doesn't fetishize or shame me of my squirting, I need to figure that out before I start dating someone. That's on me. If like, if I know that I, that is something I absolutely need. If you need to have anal with your partner, then you need to start figuring that out earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, um, uh, and this is maybe where I want to follow my own curiosity is like, how do you have those conversations? What is, what is a way that you kind of broach that topic and say, Hey, this is kind of what I need. And, and this is one of my sexual needs. And are uh, you able to fulfill that? Like what's, cause otherwise you, you, you tread into waters of coercion, right? Of like, if you loved me, you would do this. Right. And, um, it becomes that manipulation. So how do you, how do you open up that conversation to start having those discussions? I think it, well, it's something that also doesn't have to get fixed or decided in that moment. So I could tell my partner that like, I'm, I'm something I really like is anal. Um, and that's the thing that I'm interested in. And I could just mention that and see what they say. I don't be like, will you do that with me? Um, or like on the topic of squirting, cause that's not something to do. That's just how someone's opinion is. I'll just, I'll either see what their current stance is or if it's something that feels like it can be melded or not. And that also depends on my patience and my ability to do emotional labor and educate. So of saying like, you know, this is something that I do, I see what their reaction is. If they're like, oh my God, that's so hot, blah, blah. And all this thing, I'm like, okay, maybe we'll see how it goes when we're in bed. Maybe if it goes that far, but probably not on the list. Or if they start asking me like, is it pee? Then I'm like, I don't, why do you care? Um, so it, it, it kind of depends on if it's just like an act that you want someone to engage in you with, if it's like BDSM, or if it's like, hey, let's see if this person fetishizes my race. Um, that's that's going to be less of like, so what do you think about Asian women? Um, like type of like it, a lot of it's going to be more of a slow burn. But it's really just if you give people enough space and room, they will tell you everything that you need to know. Just say like ask a question and stay silent and let someone answer it's really just about being observant and patient um with that and some you know sometimes you won't know until it's like later on 
but especially if you're a person who is frustrated and you keep on like, you know, going on five dates with people and be like, oh, they don't, they're not into BDSM. Then, you know, maybe like work that in sooner. They don't have to say like, maybe it's something they're open to. Like my partner knows I really like pegging men, knows that I like that. He's not into it. I'm like, that's totally fine. It's, it's not integral to my relationship. If you change your mind, I'm here, but like, that's fine. Um, I'm not going to try, but like, you know, he knows that I'm into that and that's okay. And I like, I think we can have, it's those moments where I'm not coercing him. He doesn't have to do that. He knows I like it, but he feels safe that I'm not going to do something without talking to him, asking him or him approaching me about it. He knows I like, I'm there. He like, if he's ready, he can come to me. He knows that. But I think it's really important of letting people make their own educated decisions. And if it's something that they're, you know, maybe if they have a shame background with it, then maybe you can offer them and like, hey, let's like look at this together. Or like, I was reading this article. What do you think about this? Because if we, even if we come up to someone and being like, hey, I'm really interested in pegging, they're going to automatically think that I'm asking them to peg them, that I've been thinking about this for a while, that I might dump them if they don't do it. Like there's all these associations we can have because we're in a vulnerable place. So sometimes it can be helpful to bring things from like a third party. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally recommend like watching or listening to like a podcast. If you're like, if there's something that you're interested in, like it's go and listen to a podcast about that topic together. Like, Hey, I just heard this thing. What do you, what do you think of this, this idea? What do you think of this topic or this concept that was introduced in this episode or, or this book or, or whatever it is? Um, cause then the kind of onus is on that third party. The onus is on that like extra curricular kind of thing that you've listened to. So that's, that's a uh, recommendation that I It's have. a good way to like bring it up and you can insert your own opinion or even like, Hey, I squirt. It's a thing that I do. Here's how I would like you to react to it or to treat it. Um, and you can have, you, you can take like a lead of like, here's what I'd like you to do. And then they can either meet that expectation or they can fall short. Yeah, totally. I think there's, um, uh, an avenue that I want to go down here with you, um, which is that you mentioned squirting a couple of times and, and something that I see, like, I see this not only in like the kind of mainstream tabloids, but also in like the sexuality spaces as well. And the sex ed spaces is like the, the, like how to make her squirts like workshops. And, um, I don't know, that's like never really sat well with me. Cause like, firstly, like you don't make your partner orgasm. Like it's not, like you don't, yeah. Like you don't give them You can them have a really orgasm. big role, but you're, but they're doing it. Yeah, exactly. So like that always like the wording always like threw me off a little bit, but I was wondering if I could get your opinion on like the, what those workshops are and, and do you think they're beneficial? Like, what do you think? I mean, with a lot of things, especially in the sexuality space, a lot of it is people with more vanity of like, oh, people want to hear this. That's what they're looking for. But just because people want it doesn't mean that's what they should be getting. I think a lot of people look at this goal achieving thing. How can I get these skills and do this? But we also have to remember not all bodies are the same. Um, and it, it's, it's also just cumbersome for things to be very binary of like, here's the way to do this. There's like, the way I tell people is you might like six of the things you might like one of the things you might like none of them, but it is a starting point. If I ever teach like techniques, it's always like multiple ones. And it's like, you might hate them all. You might find something that blows my mind. Like it, I'm always still learning. Therefore you can still be learning. But I think specifically with things of like, you know, make her squirt a lot of that, that comes from a lot of the reason I started educating is because for some reason, squirting came all about cishet men, which is interesting because it has absolutely nothing to do with them. I've gotten like emails from people that are like, I could only do it with this one guy. I don't know if I can ever do it again. I was like, well, your body squirted, right? So you can do it. You've done it. You just have to figure out how to do it with your body. Um, and with a lot of like these techniques, like I've had people use techniques on me that made me bleed. Cool. You made me squirt, but you also really hurt me. Um, or just like maybe my body isn't working on a day and then you're invalidating it because you're the master of it. Um, but there, yeah, like you were saying, you can't make someone orgasm, like you can't make someone squirt. You can have a really large role in it. You can assist in the process, but it's not your doing. And if them squirting or orgasming is that, it's like, that's a tide on your, like, I'm so great. I'm a good lover, all of these things. Like, 
I'm really good at giving blowjobs. You don't see me going around and bragging about it. Like, shut up. Um, it's just, it's not a good look. And those make it seem very goal oriented. It's also not talking about the experience of the person squirting because I talk about this a lot in like studies. If you have me in a squirting study like 10 years ago, I'm not squirting, but I am now because I learned like the process of it and I'm able to teach other people. And I don't need, I don't need another person to squirt. I don't even need to be penetrated to squirt. And no one's talking about those things because it's all about this G spot thing, which that's a way, but a lot of people also experience a lot of pain and a lot of people don't stimulate it correctly. Um, those types of classes are cash grabs for people because um, it's a really, it's a high search term. There's no, um, you know, clear cut scientific study on it. People can't explain it in general. So they're, they're, those are just cash grab, like 10 ways to blow his mind. Like all of those typical Cosmo type things, that's what those are. And if you're looking for the one solve for how to be the best lover, there isn't. It's, it's taking time and care and every person is different and it's being curious and inquisitive. Like I learned a lot of stuff just by being curious of like, what does this button do? What happens if I do this? And you learn cool new things that way. Um, I think there's no harm in taking classes and things to both brush up and like, you know, tune up your curiosity of, okay, like I have a class that called hand blow and other jobs. And it's about a lot of different like techniques and things for pleasing people with penises, both on like balls, the penis, the butt, like all of those things. But again, it's like, here are a couple different things, especially for people who are lazy. This is a good way. If you don't want to put in a lot of effort, but you want to get a lot of reward. Um, but it's not like if you have these, it also doesn't mean you're going to be a good lover because your person might not respond to any of them. And you also, you you can do all these things. And if you're a shitty person and you're not treating them like a human, yeah, that might suck. Mm, totally, totally. And I, I think, do you, do you notice that there's a um, pressure, not only from kind of cishet men to squirt, but also like, I see this in, in like the, uh, like women that are selling maybe toys or talking about sexuality that are also like, hey, like every woman can squirt and like, here's how you can do it as well and, and buy this product and this will make you squirt. And and I you know just want to piggyback off what you said before, which is like your body and people's bodies are different. And is, and so I, I want to maybe get your professional opinion on this. Is it possible for every female body to squirt? Is like, can we lay that to, to rest? Yeah. Well, first thing what you're saying, like it, it's not just, men or cishet men that pressure people or women in sex like women pressure themselves and pressure men and like it's it's coming from all angles so it's not like a men are the worst kind of a thing um so i, I want to make that clear as well but in terms of can every person with a vulva squirt it's well firstly we're never going to be able to prove that because all you need is one person to say no and it is very much a learned thing it's not like press a button let's see if you work um so I think that everyone with a vulva is capable of squirting if they have a coordinated pelvic floor and a good enough relationship with their vulva. Cool. Case Amazing. Point. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, another follow-up question for this, because I know people ask all the time and you probably get this question all the fucking time, but is squirting pee? <gasps> no, it's squirt. That's why they call it squirt. Otherwise they would call it sexy pee. But also why, why does everyone care? Because the thing is, is that I get asked this all the time and I don't care how many times I answer it. I'm still going to get asked this. But the general thing is like, I know my body. I'm tired of defending my body. Like I have, I have made posts on social media about squirting that have nothing to do with the pee thing or even with squirting. And people are still talking like, okay, but it's pee. I'm like, why? why are you telling me this? Why should I care? I've, I've had other people drink it. I've drank it. Like I know what my body does. I know that those things are different. Um, like, I just don't understand why we, I don't, I don't understand why we care so much about if squirt is pee. I also don't care, understand why we care so much about squirting. I think we should care less about squirting. It's not as great as people are touting it to be. It's kind of a nuisance. I kind of hate it. Um, and it's, it's just, it's not, I think people like end up being disappointed of how much it's built up by. So many people with vulvas really, really want to do this. And so many of them are like, oh wait, that was, that was it. 
like that. Yeah, it's like it's on. It's really overrated, in my opinion. I think we should care less about squirting. Mm, and this is the conversation that I want to have because I don't think people are talking about all this extra stuff, right? Because all those workshops are like, it's, it's great. Here's how you do it. This is why you should want to do it. And here's the pressure that you need, right? Um, but uh, I think I, I saw you write this and this kind of was um, news to me. And I don't know why I, it was just one of my assumptions, I suppose, but um, squirting and orgasm can happen or don't happen together. They don't have to happen at the same time. Is that correct? Yes. So, and, you know, pardon me, because this is an American reference, but I liken them to field goals and touchdowns. So field goals, you know, they're easier to get. They're less, they're less points, but you could win the game with field goals, you know, but sometimes you want a touchdown and sometimes you get a touchdown, you get to kick the extra point. So they're just, it's just different types of pleasure, but squirting is a lot easier to achieve than an orgasm when you get there. Um, Usually if I'm orgasming, usually I'm squirting. If I'm, and when I'm squirting, most of the time I'm not orgasming. Um, it's easier. I can control if I want to squirt. It's harder for me to control not squirting. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people who are, who squirt a lot, I get a lot of messages of like, how do I stop? <laughs> yeah. And, and I have a couple like, like, you know, suggestions, but there's no answer. Sure, sure. What are some of those suggestions, if you don't mind sharing? Um, like trying to find some sort of sensation that overwhelms the body or where there's more things to focus on. So maybe you have like anal stimulation or maybe like vibration is really intense for me. And sometimes when I have a lot of vibration, my body's like, there's too much stuff to focus on than squirting. Um, so it could be like a process of like retraining or finding some sort of stimulation that maybe distracts the, or overwhelms the body. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. And do you think there's this like pedestalization of squirting from porn as well? Do you think that's had a, a, an impact? It's, I think it's a bit of porn because porn is also like, that's, it's a, it's a high search turn thing. It's very demanded. They can pay people extra if they do that or if they fake it. But I think it just became another thing of just like, well, I'm so good at sex that I made this person squirt. It's also a physical manifestation of pleasure. I mean, you, you could fake squirting, but it's a bit harder to fake than an orgasm. Orgasm's pretty easy to fake. Uh, so that's something I think that where like, you know, a, an orgasm of someone with a vulva seemed very like mystified to us. Um, but this is something we can see and we can measure. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I also think there's like a bit of this mentality of um, like bigger is better is like the mentality that I'm kind of thinking of here. And like this kind of assumption that like a squirting orgasm or like squirting is like more intense than another, an, another type of orgasm or like, and I see this happening with like, like people with penises as well, with regards to ejaculation, like guys want to like have bigger ejaculations, like in terms of like quantity and, and like, it's all about like how much more can there be? And I think that plays into this idea of um, squirting yeah, as well. And I'm, I'm fine with making challenges with yourself or like, this would be interesting to try, but it's when you start putting that pressure on other people and projecting that is where there can be issue. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, do you, uh, I think you mentioned this before and I'm wondering how you navigate this space, but the people that are maybe fetishizing squirting in particular is that is that something that you come up against quite a lot yeah and i think a lot of people even think they're like doing me a favor by telling me how much they love my squirting and they would love to be with someone who squirts and i'm like i don't care i've been with people who fetishize squirting and honestly like i don't want to feel pressured to have my body on like because i do squirting performances at like different venues too and like I, there's a different preparation i do for a performance and i don't have to do that every day and like it's also at the same time whether i'm being fetishized for squirting or not if i don't squirt my partner will think that like, well, what's wrong? What am I not doing? And I'm like, my body just doesn't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, the wind's blowing a little bit sad, like, it, like the weirdest reasons of what it could be. It's like, I just doesn't want to do it today. Um, but for, for fetishizing, it's when, when the focus is more on the squirting than it is on myself or when people are like, oh, that's so hot and focusing on it. Like when 
I was focused a lot on my squirting in the beginning when I started doing it, I lost sight of my orgasm. Um, the squirting was fun. I knew I could do it. It was pretty easy. Orgasming wasn't as easy. And after a while, like, cause that was the focus. It was like, well, I do this, the fun party trick people like that. Um, but then it, it's, it's very much a novelty thing. Like I'd rather someone it's, squirting is a thing my body does. So we need to accept it as a thing my body does and not like herald it as amazing. It's following my lead. Like I'm very lucky that the first time that I squirted and was made aware of it, the person I was with said, oh, you squirted. Is that something you do? And he was waiting, engaging my reaction on it. So he wasn't projecting that's so hot or that's gross. He was just like, oh, you did this. How do you feel about it? And like, I'm so thankful that happened because then I was, then I wasn't like ashamed of it. Then I'm like, oh, okay. It's a thing that I can do. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I guess I do. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't know what else to say about like fetishizing, but it's like, let allow someone else to determine their relationship with it. And maybe they are like, oh, I like doing it. It's fun for me. Sometimes I hate it or, or whatever it may be, but allow that person to determine their relationship with it. And there are ways that you can support them in that. Maybe if they're like, oh, I hate that I do this. So like, well, what can I do to make that easier? Like I can set up these like puppy pads or this mat over here, or we can do it in the shower. Like see what you can do to help them if they're feeling bad about it. But also like they don't have to love it. Like people they can, people can not like it or they can feel ambivalent about it. But at the end of the day, it's just something someone's body does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what you just shared there is, is so important for like men to realize as well is that some women don't like that they squirt, right. Or, or that it, and it, and it might not feel, um, you know, all the anxiety and the pressure and the, um, uh, extra emotions that they feel might override the fact that it's, pleasurable or it could be pleasurable for their body so i think that's like a really important thing for for guys or partners of, of women that squirt to know as well um, and that's why i wanted to to speak to you and the the other thing that i um and you mentioned this before something that you're a fan of is pegging and and the reason why i wanted to speak to you about this and circle back to it is um and this is my opinion that i've shared with you before but the idea of pegging in terms of like one of the reasons why it's beneficial and, and um, why I think anal play on you know, men, cishet men is, is really powerful is because it gives them an experience of being penetrated. It gives them an experience of being the person who's having their skin barrier crossed. And when they, because we can kind of think, oh yeah, yeah, I understand conceptually what it would be like, but until you kind of have that lived somatic experience, you don't really know exactly how slow you need to go or how much lube you need to use or you know um, what the intention of the person who's penetrating you actually kind of feels like um, viscerally. And so it uh, my, you know, to kind of put a catchy slogan to this is like, you know, being being penetrated, right, as a guy makes you a better lover because then you, you learn how to be a better penetrator. And I'm wondering, is that something that you have noticed or have you explored or is that something that comes up in the, the pegging in the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. I think the world would be a better place if everybody was like pegged once or twice. Um, but for multiple reasons, I mean, yes, it gives you that like empathy and lived experience, but it's also physically pleasurable. You have a pleasure spot in your butt. Like that's why gay guys are fucking each other in the butt. It's not because it's the only hole available. It's because it feels good. So it's physically pleasurable. It can also be mentally pleasurable for some. And it's really taking the focus off the penis, which can be a much welcomed um, experience. But also, I think there, there's two ways also that um, men can deal with their internalized homophobia and their fragile masculinity. And internalized homophobia is not the same thing as being homophobic. You can have all the gay friends in the world and you can still have internalized homophobia. So it's understanding like these, these fears of like having your butt penetrated. So one way is of dealing with like, what is the reason if you don't want to have something in your butt? Are you afraid there's going to be poop or pain? Because there's ways that we can deal with that and mitigate that. Um, are you afraid that it's going to do something with your manhood or that you're, you're going to push the button that makes you gay? Because I think that's a large reason that people don't want to do it. Is that they're like, well, I'm not submissive. I'm not gay. That doesn't matter. It doesn't mean those two things. Think about how often people with vulvas are penetrated and they're not submissive. Like I do it all the time it doesn't penetration does not equal submission 
So I think with understanding that, the other way that you can also deal with your internalized homophobia is can you have sex with someone with a strap on and not your dick? Can you do that? Because you don't have to deal with issues of maintaining an erection. You still get to give someone pleasure. Why do you have to give someone pleasure with your penis? Why is that so important to your ego? And I think both of these things can provide that empathy of being a better lover because you're not making it about you. Um, of course, in a pegging scenario, like it, it is physically and potentially mentally pleasurable. Like you could be making it about you. It could be a, a total scenario about that. Um, and there's, I mean, there's plenty to go into with pegging up. Like, you know, sometimes the penis is involved and sometimes it's not. And bodies are just really different, especially when you start engaging with prostate stimulation. Um, it's also just healthy to engage in prostate stimulation regardless. It's also, that is your G spot. And if you want to experience the next height of pleasure, if you, if you are in that, like, let's see all the things my body can do, then you probably should be interested in that. Of course, there are things like, let's say that you were like, sodomized or have trauma in that area. That's a really great reason why maybe you shouldn't engage in that. You know, I'm not saying that everyone has to do it, but a lot of the reasons that people are hesitant about it are, you know, well, it's going to hurt or it's, there might be some poop or like, what if people think that I'm weak? Like, and those are things that you can't avoid and you're going to need to deal with. And honestly, I think it does make people a better, better lover, or if anything, it makes me respect someone more because there's so much like misogynist, patriarchal bullshit out there. And it's hard to suss out. No, people don't just tell you like, hey, I'm a good guy. And then that's true. The people who say I'm a good guy usually are hiding something. Um, so it's it's just seeing how people react to things. So like I said, my partner, like, was just like, I don't, and like, he has valid reason, but I'm always like, I'm here if you change your mind. Um, but his reaction to it wasn't like, you know, ooh, that's gross or any of the, whatever it may be. Um, so it's not like you have to do these things, but I think it's, one of my favorite things, honestly, with men is to see how, or with anyone, is see how they respond to a no, how they handle a no. And it's just really telling. Um, like I said, I'm a brat, so I like to, you know, push up against edges anyway, but I'll, I do that quite a lot. And it's just, it's interesting how people react to it. Um, you know, some people be like, they'll try to convince or say something and other people be like, okay, that's cool. And it's like, oh, okay. So I'm going to be able to say no to you in the future. And it's not going to be like the hugest deal. That's a lot of the things that that tells me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's just a, um, a way of gauging his response to, to that in the future. Right. Yeah. And it, whether it's like, whether it's pegging or not, or something like if I, it's just, it's seeing that's what the consent piece is. Consent isn't about someone saying yes or no to something. Consent is about creating a space where someone feels like they ha they can advocate for themselves and they're safe to do so. So me saying no to anything and seeing their reaction, like that's what that is. I know it's like, that's a tangent off of pegging, but like, it's, it's a lot of it is, um, you know, it, it's that's like the, the type of men that I want to be surrounding myself with are men that don't have internalized homophobia and are men that are not going to put a submissive like cap on me just because I present as femme. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you mentioned something before, and this is something that I like to talk to couples and just men in general about is this idea that being the person who's penetrating doesn't necessarily mean that you're the person who's um, like in charge or you're the person who's um, the, the top or is being dominant uh, and, and vice versa. Just because you're the person that's being penetrated doesn't mean that you're submissive or the bottom or the person who's you know not dominant. And playing around with that, I kind of maybe refer to it as like the energetics of penetration or the energetics of, of um, you know, being penetrated, I think is really powerful because there's this like conflation so often that, you know, the person with the penis is the dominant person and the person who has the vulva or who's being penetrated is the, is the submissive person. And um, that can be really problematic when it's not kind of teased out. Yeah. And, and even with that too, because I mean, myself, like so many other people that now identify as doms, like just because we are socialized as women, we think that we're submissive. And then lo and behold, we're like, oh, I'm not. And it's, it's, 
it's because we're not questioning why am I into something? Because a lot of the times when we first start exploring something, novelty is what attracts us to it. So the example I like to give is I thought I really liked being spanked, um, but it turns out that I hate pain. I just like attention. And I can get attention in plenty of other ways than getting hit. And a lot of people, I would love, a lot of people who enjoy impact player spanking, like question that, you know, what is it that you like about it? Do you like the physical pain part of it? Do you like the fact that you're the center of attention? Do you like the fact that you're someone's telling you what to do? Like, what are the pieces of it that you enjoy instead of just like, I like this thing because we can all like the same act, but if we like it for different reasons, those are entirely different experiences. So if you don't know why it is that you like something, like question that, go through the experience again, being like, what are the aspects of this that I like? Because those are the things we should be communicating more than like, what are the activities that you're into? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's like really important, not only for you to know why you like this, but then also to share with the person that's doing it, like what you're getting from it, why it is that you enjoy this and and why it is that you, you're asking for it, I suppose. because the intention as well is really important like if if you're that spanking example if you're getting spanked and like your partner is like okay i'm doing this because they like the the pain of it then that's what they're going to be focusing on right and again if we kind of think of like the subtleties and energetics of that whole uh, space of that whole scenario the the calibration is going to be a little bit off there so having that awareness of like what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it i think is also really important and then like if you're if you still want that feeling or whatever it is and your partner doesn't like that then find another thing where you can achieve that like i like attention so i really want to be like a damsel in distress and get kidnapped my partner doesn't want to kidnap me he doesn't like being like an aggressor so it's like okay what's another way that i can get this feeling that we can do that so it's even the same thing if like you want to be pegged and your partner doesn't want to peg you what is it that you like about pegging is it the physical aspect or is it the mental aspect what's another way that you can achieve that that doesn't involve like that literal act or the same thing with if it's with spanking like there's plenty of ways that we can achieve the feeling that's not asking a person to do something that they may not be comfortable with doing and that includes like i always tell people when it comes to names you want to be called in sex and what you refer to your genitals of you have two options because someone might not be comfortable with one Maybe I want someone to call my vulva a cunt. And they're like, I'm not saying that word. I'm like, okay, you can call it a pussy then. Um, or like someone's like, I want you to call me sir. I'm like, this is not happening. Um, like have two options because certain things, like I will never call someone sir or master. They can go fuck themselves. <laughs> I think there's a, um, a cool, because um, I hadn't thought of this before, but something you mentioned was um, like, can you... Um, like for a person that has a penis, can you have sex with a strap on on? And can you, you know, and can you, can you enjoy sex that way? And, and, and that just, you know, I, I wanted to circle back around to it because something that I talk about a lot with guys is like expanding where you experience pleasure and, you know, not just, not just only thinking with your dick to use that kind of turn of phrase. And a lot of guys like equate any pleasure that they can experience in a sexual encounter, even, even, you know, when they're sexual by themselves, like just with their genitals, just with their cock. And even like even like just with a certain part of their cock as well, like not even with the testicles or with anything else, it's like just the shaft or just the head. Um, and so like there's this like really minuscule and minute way that they are allowing pleasure into their body. And I think, because um, I hadn't thought of me as a you know person with a penis wearing a, a strap on. So that's going to be something I'm going to explore and, and experiment with, I think. And, um, and yeah, as a way to kind of, okay, where else am I getting pleasure? How else am I, am I experiencing pleasure in this scenario? Um, you know, cause I think it's a, a two way street there, but, um, I thought that was a really interesting thing to, to bring up. And I was wondering, do you have any more advice or any other, um, pieces of wisdom around allowing yourself to experience pleasure in other areas of your body, including your ass, including your prostate? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think in general, just like you were communicating, like routine is, like that's that can be the enemy sometimes and it's really just about changing things up so if you're in a rut routine is the enemy it means change it up like when people say the dreaded phrase of how do we spice things up what i'm hearing is you're in a routine you're not going to throw a handcuff in your sex life and it's going to magically change things you're going to have to actually work on it so even if it's in your masturbation just try doing a different thing that you did use your right hand all the time use your left hand like make notes on like what is my routine do i do it in the morning do i do it at night 
light? Am I already aroused? Am I watching porn? Like what's going on and change that up? Because a lot of us have been masturbating the same way since we've been 11. And you know what? We know a quick way to get it done. It has a bit of nostalgia in it. It's pretty fun. But there's so many different pathways to pleasure that we're not giving ourselves the opportunity for. Um, that can change. Like our pleasure is going to just change. I mean, especially for people with vulvas, like, uh, you know, even through a menstruation cycle, how much that changes as well. Um, but our bodies are just going to change throughout our lives. So there's no reason that we shouldn't just keep experimenting. As long as something doesn't hurt, if something feels interesting, then you know, that's something to be able to explore. I think people with penises should be using more toys, very reliant on their hand. And I think people with vulvas should try using their hand more. They're too reliant on toys, especially because they have an internal sex organ. They can put their hand inside of themselves and have a physical response that they can feel onto their hand. Um, I think people with penises should be exploring their butt more. I think they should be exploring more of their balls, um, scrotal sac, like all all different things um, as well. And I think if you have any hesitations or hangups, those are just things to be able to sit with and explore because there are going to be things that we actively enjoy. There's going to be things that we're like ambivalent about like, okay, you can like rim me. I don't love it. I don't hate it, but it's there. Uh, and there's going to be things that we actively don't like. Like if you choke me, I'm going to cry. Um, you know, maybe not that visceral of a reaction, but it's the ambivalent things we can play with. It's the like, actively not enjoying this, that's stuff that we shouldn't mess with, whether it's someone else or ourselves. But the ambivalent pieces, like there could be something interesting there. Who knows? Maybe you never like it. Um, and it's just kind of there. But those are pieces that we can play with. I think it's it's really a lot of this piece of, well, I want to do this. How do I get someone else to do it? That there's another person who's not involved in that. Maybe they have a really good reason for why they don't want to do something. And in that case, then you have to start asking of like, you know, well, do I seek someone else to do this? Is there a way where I can get this where they don't have to do it? Like, um, I think a lot of things with, I know I'm going off a tangent here, but a lot of things with, um, with ego, especially of like, if I'm using a toy during partnered sex and my partner feels like, well, I feel like I'm not really involved in it and it's just kind of you and your toy. I'm like, well, can you stroke my hair? Or maybe you can like hold my legs while I'm trying to close them like a clamshell. Like there are other ways we can be involved that don't involve our genitals or our hands on someone else's genitals directly. Um, it's just figuring out where, yeah, where that ego is. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you mentioned something there which had a light bulb moment for me that I wanted to circle back to was um, if I kind of offer the, this example, uh, which I see in, in like mainstream media all the time, um, TV shows and, and Hollywood movies is like, uh, particularly like anal sex, right? I'll use that as an example. Like um, the, the way that it's framed in a lot of um, these mainstream media shows is like uh it the, the woman doesn't necessarily like it but she'll like make a concession on like his birthday or on christmas like oh we'll do that thing that you want to do that i don't necessarily want to do um but because it's your birthday I'll, I'll i'll give it to you and like that makes me cringe hard firstly but um but i'm i'm wondering because uh, you, you mentioned like ambivalence if it's like something that you don't necessarily hate but you can kind of like you can kind of take it or leave it but your partner really enjoys that. Like I think you used the the term um, rimming, or that was the example that you used. So like if if I really really enjoyed rimming, and it's like my top you know two top three things that I really enjoyed doing, but my partner it's kind of like they could kind of take it or leave it. Is there a dynamic there where the partner that doesn't really mind it is just kind of like, look, I'm gonna allow for you to do this because I know you really get a lot of enjoyment from it. Is and, but where does that kind of where is that line? I suppose. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of a twofold on it. And like, I mean, for me, rimming is a great example because I am really ambivalent about it. I don't like it. I don't hate it. And, but like, I've had times where partners, like they really enjoy it. And it's just like, you know, they're like on Christmas morning. So I'm like, I'm not getting any, any physical pleasure from it, but like, I love that you're, I'm having a good time because you're having a good time. But for some people they're like, okay, but if you're not physically into it, then it doesn't do anything for me, which like I can understand in that scenario. Then it's like, well, I can have a vibrator on my clip while you do that. I'm not getting anything from the rimming, but at least I'm having a good time elsewhere. So 
there's like there's a bit you can play around with it there because it, it's something where I mean specifically with rimming I'll tell people like I am open to having my mind changed don't think I like it but I don't hate it so if you try something I happen to like sure let's go for it um we're like most of the time I don't but like every so often maybe if the stars are aligned and the wind's blowing the right way um so it's a bit twofold. You can go things in that effort, but of the person who is enjoying it um, with the partner who's ambivalent about it, like it, that's also, you know, on their front of they're like, well, my part is my partner just putting up with something. Cause that's not, that's not super fun for some people, but then like, what's the way that they can enjoy themselves while I'm enjoying what I'm doing too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for speaking more into that. I'm just mindful of time and I'm wondering, is there any um, last minute pieces of wisdom or little nuggets that you would like to share with the predominantly male listeners as well? Something that you'd like men to know? Yeah, well, this has just been a conversation that's been coming up like recently, but I think there's a lot of like keeping up with the Joneses in terms of sex a lot of the time, whether it's, you know, using yourself as a marker or other people. Um, but even like a conversation I was having recently um, with someone I was having sex with was like, we don't, I don't, I feel like we don't have sex enough. And I was like, okay, well, what's enough? Um, how many times is enough? What's the number that you want to hit? And they're like, I don't know. It's like, well, then I don't like, you know, what, what does enough or not enough mean? And it's like, well, it's just not as much as we used to. And it's like, okay, well, instead of the solution there being, okay, well, let's have sex two more times a week. It's like, well, why aren't we having more sex than we did before? It's because sex is really, sex with this person is really stressful for me. And it's probably really stressful for them. And when that is the scenario and it's stressful and it's not just having fun, when there's all these goals and things like that attached to it, like, yeah, I'm probably going to choose not to do it unless I feel like a hundred percent on it. But if it's a, maybe it's an issue of timing. Maybe it's that, well, like, I don't like morning sex and you don't like night sex. So like, how can we work something else out? Um, you know, it, it, a lot of things we take things at face value and maybe we even make it someone else's problems. So my partner says like, we're not having enough sex. I'm like, okay, so now I have to, try to have sex more to be, to make this a good relationship for all these things. Um, it's really easy to try to pick apart all the things that we feel are wrong or not measuring up, but a lot of those things can be related. So it might even be like, we got a bunch of other shit to work on before we start working on our sex life too. So let's maybe like get those things settled first. But I, I'm just like wary of, I think a lot of people feel like we're not kinky enough. We're not doing all these things. Like, are you dissatisfied with your sex life? Are you dissatisfied with the amount of times you're having sex? Um, like I would, maybe I'd like to have sex more, but I'm not dissatisfied with the amount of sex that we're having. Um, so it, like though it's really relation to how you are feeling and how your partner is feeling and what the reasonings are behind that beyond just, well, it's not as much as we used to, or I hear other people are doing this thing and I feel like we should be doing it too, because the minute you start doing that, you're losing sight of the person in front of you when you're focused on everything else. When you're focused on making someone squirt and getting this end goal to happen, maybe you're not realizing they're bleeding uh, or they're not having a good time or they're mentally checked out and all of these things. Um, so really focusing on each other and yeah, and, and what your individual like wants and needs and comforts are. Because there's a there's the thing of like, we're not having enough sex. It's like, well, what what do you want to do? How much sex do you want to have? What kind of sex do you want to have and why? What does that do for you? Are you not satisfied? What are you not satisfied about? If you're not prepared to be answering all those questions, and then, I mean, sit down and answer them or like think of those yourself. Yeah, yeah. There's um, <clears throat> This has just made me like reflect on, the keeping up with the Joneses mentality in other areas of life as well, but then also like the the social media influencer kind of culture, which is not only in those areas of life, but it's also in the sexuality space as well. And so I'm like, you know, oh my God, am I one of those people that's like pressuring other men to 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 keep up and to to do these things? And so I think there's an there's an interesting conversation to there about uh, about sex educators online and like being supportive and and not making people feel like they need to have more sex or they need to do something sexual or they need to be more kinky or whatever it might be i think there's an interesting you know sexuality influencer conversation to be had and for some reflections to be done yeah and 
I had a um, a project that was called the Good Guy Project, but now, I mean, really, there's a lot of things I'm working on. It's because a lot of things, like, I know men feel very, very targeted and, you know, rightfully so, but also they maybe should be a little bit, but it's, it's for everyone. And we're building um, a fake university that is centering on confidence and power dynamics. And I feel like that's largely been made available more so for women and we want to make it available for everyone. Um, so there's that piece. And there's also something called Beyond the Bare Minimum, um, which is sexual harassment education and consent training. And it's like, honestly, no, no one is too good. Everyone needs to be learning that. And there's a large focus, I think, on people wanting to have a good guy card or being able to check a box really quickly. And consent's just not simple. Sometimes it can be, but it's usually not. And it's it's a struggle. It's a struggle, I think, to get people to invest in that, especially men, because they feel like investing in it, just like maybe investing in your sex life, means you're a failure or you're not good at that. When in fact, like, even people that are really fit get personal trainers, you know, like it's, it can be helpful, like just to even brush up on it. Sex educators take other people's courses all the time too. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, I usually use the sporting analogy here when I, when I hear guys kind of have that mentality, it's like, you know, Michael Jordan still goes to training. Michael Jordan still, you know, was, you know, had a coach, you know, the, the idea that you went to the gym once and now you've ticked it off and now you're fit is like, just completely, you know, guys are like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. It's like, it's the exact same thing for sex, man. You know, yeah, that's, that's what you do, so. Or this um, like optimizing masculinity where it's like, well, if you do this in this way, you're gonna be able to get more babes and get more money at work and all these like, why can't you just do it to be a good person? <laughs> why do you have to optimize it? <laughs> yeah, don't get me started on that whole, that whole <laughs> men's coaching world, I'll, I'll, right. I'll go off. Well, thank you so much for, for spending time. I know it's quite late of there, um, just having a chat with me and sharing uh, your wisdom and, and sharing your magic. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much. No worries.